Welcome. You're listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope that you're encouraged and challenged by this week's message. So the topic is keeping my intimacy with Jesus. Um, it's what came to my heart when I thought about coming here. It's amazing that God decided to make man. What was in his heart when he decided to make man it was such an interesting thing and such a privilege, as David would say, that what is man that you're mindful of him, you know? We're so flawed, we're so problematic. <laughs> we're so interesting. Sometimes you don't even trust what is in your heart. <laughs> um, so, but yet God decided to make man. But one thing I realized um, looking at it was that he designed us for intimacy. So in Genesis chapter one, from 26 to 27, so, he said in there, I think that's worth reading, Genesis chapter 1, 26. He said, then God said, let us make man in our image to be like ourselves. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. There will be masters over all life, the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, and all the livestock, wild animals, and small animals. God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself. Male and female, he created them. So for him to have made us in our image, there was a, a, a thought in it for interaction. There was a thought in it for us to communicate because we're made so much like him and we have exactly what he has because the Bible says he formed us of the earth. He breathed into us the very same spirit that was in him and man became a living soul. So uh, he designed us for intimacy. And in Genesis 3, 8, after Adam and Eve sinned, uh, we heard that God came down walking in the garden, uh, wanted a time with them, which probably he'd been doing. I mean, he probably won't come only when, when they had done something wrong. He'd been coming, probably. And uh, it showed that there were some interactions, you know, with God. I remember Abraham, when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. It was interesting, the God of all the earth, stop by and says, I don't want to do this without informing my friend, Abraham. If we read that in Genesis, uh, Genesis 18, 17, the Amplified Version put it nicely. It says, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham, my friend and servant, what I'm going to do? In other words, God decided to confide in him, more or less, and it was one of the most interesting negotiations in the Bible. And Abraham had to start negotiating for the lives of people. Um, he probably must have thought about Lot and felt, okay, Lot left here with 300 people. So he decided to start at 50. Then it went down to 20. Then it went down to 10. So God, it's interesting that God thought to do that. When Jesus also came down to earth, when Jesus came down to earth, he met, he decided to draw a certain group of people to himself. And we know of the 12 disciples. We know there were many disciples. In fact, when he was going to go, they were close to maybe 500 people that uh, eventually uh, came close. But there were 12 that were particularly close to him. At the peak of their interaction and relationship in John 15, let me just read that also. He said something very interesting there. John 15, 14. He says, you're my friends if you obey me. He says, I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends, 
since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you, I appointed you to go and produce fruits that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. So, the interaction between us and God, it's not just something so far away. He wants to bring us close. He wants to, there are things in his heart he wants to confide in us, he wants to talk to us about. Amen? Back home, we are very interactive. So, <laughs> back home, Nigeria, very interactive. Everybody participates when we preach. <laughs> Amen. Now, intimacy, intimacy doesn't mean that we don't know our place. God is God. We can't beat that. In fact, intimacy ensures that we don't take each other for granted. Because when you've gone to see into the heart of another person, you get to understand him, get to know him. That's why most times when Jesus is describing his relationship with us, the church, he, he uses marriage as an example. And that kind of intimacy, a closeness that we see, somebody said that this described intimacy as look into me and see. Okay, so there's, there's God wants to open himself up so that we can see into his heart. And he also wants us to open ourselves up so that he can see into us. There are things that may need fixing. There are things that may need helping us. Amen? So intimacy doesn't mean we take him for granted. He is God and no other. Intimacy and familiarity is different. So um, back home in Nigeria, we had stories of very tyrannical kings and uh, there was this very, very wicked king who had a wife that he actually really loved. He was so feared in, the, in his kingdom. But this particular lady really loved her. And it was wonderful to see them together. They could never believe that he, would, <laughs> he could have that kind of heart to love someone. And one day, while they were intimate in the room, his wife was like, ah, so this is, this is everything. I wonder why people fear you so much, you know, that this is, this is you. And he got up, sent, just gave a message to one of the guards at the door. And before she knew it, they brought her father's head into the, into the room. And it was like, well, this is why other people fear me. Now, God is not like that. He definitely is not. But he's that powerful because... At the snap of his hands, he can turn situations around. At the snap of his hands, he can create things. And therefore, it is to our advantage to also know our place as well as be close to him. Amen? All right. So intimacy actually equals access. That's also why it's very dangerous. Even on a personal level, your friends... When, you're, when, you, when you, there's a bond that comes between you, there's access that is given. And when that is taken for granted or betrayed, it can be extremely hurtful, isn't it? So intimacy is access. And I must say, I can tell you that I have benefited from that access a lot of times. Let me try and describe it this way. Um, there was a time um, we went home to see my family. My wife and I live in the north of the country. Uh, about 13 hours away from our family where we grew up. If we go to visit them and we drive, one day we needed, it was, the trip was particularly short, we wanted to see everybody as much as possible before we went back. And um, 
my sister, we're going to pass through her own city. And she wanted us to get something from her from where my parents lived. And so we stopped at the market. It was a very intense, we had short time. So my wife just got off the, out of the car. I was going to just find somewhere to park. And she would quickly go in, pop in, pop out. Um, but by the time I parked, because we've been away so long, we discovered that things have changed. The local government and council had changed things, so nobody parks there anymore. We had to park in a different place, far off parking space, and there was no way she could know. So I picked up the phone to call her. There was the phone ringing in the car. I was like, goodness, <laughs> what are we going to do? So. I drove down to find the place, but there was no way. It was too long a distance for us to start walking. So I thought, so what do I do? I thought about it. Well, probably she might want to touch it. You know, sometimes when the, when the women go into the market, they may just get, not get the one thing they wanted. They might see other things. So <laughs> I decided that I'll probably do a drive-by. The most logical thing for me was to go back to where I dropped her. And so I decided, okay, I'll do a couple of drive-by. Because I can't stop, I'll just drive by see. I can only pick her up. So I trusted that she's been with me long enough to kind of figure out how we think. <laughs> <laughs> because that was the only play we had now. So I did the first drive-by. I think by the second or third, I saw her there right where I dropped her. I was like, yeah, that's my babe. <laughs> But I still gave her a row for, for dropping the phone. <laughs> I still gave her a row for leaving the phone in the car. But because of how much we have interacted over time, she could logically think how, think in that situation. Because there was nothing else to do. It was either she start asking and looking for where she would find me. It would have been a nightmare. I would have wasted time. But that's kind of what intimacy is. We have a peep. We get to know how we think, how we reason. And it's what God also wants us you know, to be. Um, like I said, I've benefited from intimacy. In my workplace, back home in Nigeria, I, was, uh, I trained as a vet. We both trained as a vet. We were veterinarians. I got a new job. The person who was my predecessor actually died, but he was far older than me, like 40 years older than me, very seasoned vet. But it was a new company, and they were doing fantastic things. And they asked, I mean, I came in on the job. He actually wanted a younger person, but I think I was a bit too young for the staff and people I met there. And so they really didn't consider me a doctor. They just felt this greenhorn, what does he know? You know, and all that. So most of what we had there were not our local things. The cattle were imported, which was extremely expensive for us. And so as I was walking around the pens, the Holy Spirit just, I just felt in my heart, sorry. One of the cows were pregnant, but it just said in my heart that this cow is going to have a difficult pregnancy, a difficult birth. And everything looked normal. Everything was okay, but it was so strong upon me. So I decided to read up on it and just there's so many things that could go wrong when it comes to giving birth and you wouldn't know which one particularly. But I just felt led and I just read up on it. And truly, a couple of weeks down the road, it did have a difficult birth. And so I went in, did my examination, and discovered what was wrong. The baby was wrongly positioned, therefore she can't come out. So you either, you either has to come out head first or leg first. And so I you know, looked in, 
put my hand in, found out. So I said, guys, this is what we're going to do. They are heavy, 800 kg, 900 kg animals, and the calves, so we would have to pull it out. And I certainly can't do it alone. I had to get help. But nobody was willing to take my decisions and my advice. My boss was called and he came on the scene and started calling the head veterinarian in the veterinary service, my bosses, 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 bosses. And I just calmly continued what I was doing. Eventually, he gave me the phone and I explained to the, in fact, he got the general vet in, I mean, heading the state. <laughs> so I explained to him what was going on, told him what I was doing. I said, yeah, that's the right thing. So he told my boss, he's doing the right thing. So my boss then told everybody, come on, get in there and help him out. That He said, I don't care what happens, that animal must not die. I don't care about the baby. That animal is very expensive, it must not die. And so we fixed it and pop, the calf came out. As soon as the calf came out, I don't care what you do, that calf must not die. I don't know. <laughs> but long and short, when I came into the office the next morning, Everybody was like, doctor, doctor, doctor. I said, now I'm a doctor. <laughs> but I'd been prepared for the situation. Somehow he gave me a peep into what was going to happen. He does it in ministry. Um, my wife and I were in charge of a couple of things back home in my church. And um, we used to do, we used to get people filled with the Holy Ghost. When newcomers come, we meet them, talk to them. It was interesting, one of the most amazing situations that we'd been in. We saw God do so many wonderful things. And one of the things we used to do, they would fill a form, and one of the things we would ask them is, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And do you speak in tongues if you want and all that? Now, it's a subject many people don't like. <laughs> so, um, a lot of people would just say yes. And my wife would look through the sheets. And my wife would separate out even people who say yes. But she'd be like, no, this one's don't have it. <laughs> and I wonder, okay. And truly, when we get to, do you mind, you know, just chatting with us for a bit and all that? Truly, they would just laugh and say, yeah, they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. But, you know, they didn't want to talk about it. And she was able to spot it many times, not necessarily even seeing or knowing the people. And... That's how sometimes with that kind of intimacy, you get access into things that you yourself normally will not think or will not know. So intimacy has wonderful things to it. Um, Jesus initiates it. He said, now I call you friends. I don't call you servants. And he was also saying that I chose you. You didn't choose me. Now he initiates. It's our responsibility to cultivate it. It has to be cultivated. It has to be serviced. Let me put it that way. Because any relationship whatsoever requires some work if it's going to thrive, isn't it? And so in layman terms, if I want to put it basically in religious terms, I would just tell you, read your Bible, pray every day. And that much covers it. <laughs> you know, um, the truth is, if you fellowship with the word, you cannot but have intimacy with him. If you don't have intimacy, it will just be religion without access. It will be mundane. The word of God won't come alive to you. You will not see him as a person. So um, I think I gave my life to Christ pretty young and somehow I always looked at the word of God as maybe 
I came into the world and I didn't meet my father. And he put all his thoughts, all his desires, and put everything in a book. If I read that book, I'll kind of know how he thinks, what he wants, what were his priorities, what were important or things that were important to him. And that's exactly how the word of God is. And that's how I see it. And that's how I've lived through it. And so I put it this way. To achieve intimacy, you need knowledge. And knowledge is key. You need to know who you're intimate with. You need to understand who he is, how he thinks. And the one example I'll give, Jesus, he was fully God, fully man. And he came. When he was young, the first thing he did was to seek knowledge. So when they went to Jerusalem, it was the opportunity he sought. While his family were busy doing some other things, he went straight to the temple, found the guys who knew the stuff, sat with them, and the Bible says he was throwing questions. Uh, Luke 2, 4 to 6, you'll see that he sat with them, throwing questions at them, answering and speaking back. They lost track of him for three days and decided to look for him. And when they found him, he was surprised that they were looking for him. I mean, you should know that I'll be here, (laughs) you know, doing my father's things. And he sat there. He went to seek knowledge. The second thing I would say in the knowledge bit is to listen. Um, Listening requires that you make time. One of the first things I learned when I got married was to listen. Was to listen because um, a lot of information will come in ways that you don't realize, and uh, when when you need to respond or you need to act, you probably, if you weren't listening, you probably do the very wrong things. (laughs) So, listening requires that you make time, that you decide that. It's important enough. And in our interaction with God, we need to make time. Even when we're studying, it's not just reading by rote. We have to meditate. We have to think about it. We have to put it in scenarios and ask questions, just as Jesus did. You know, it means that we receive. It's one thing to seek knowledge. It's one thing to listen. It's one thing to actually accept what is being said. Sometimes we give mental consent. We don't actually get to, to receive it means we pick it up, believe it, and then apply it. Let's see how it works. And it works differently in all of us because we're unique. We have our, our strengths, we have our weaknesses, we have our flaws, and some things can work easily for others, and some of us we might need to put in some work to get that same result in another place, whereas some other things might come easy for you. So some of you can have faith to pray for the sick, and some will have to work to get there. Uh, Some of you might have faith to give everything you have, but some people might have to work to get there. But at some point or the other, there's that acceptable place that Jesus wants us to be regarding anything he wants us to do. And we have to get there and work ourselves there. When it comes to receive, you have to accept what is being said, you have to believe it, and you have to put it into action. The other thing, which is the prayer thing, is to speak. You need to speak to him. And prayer is basically that. There's the very official looking one that we do, but there's the very personal one that we need to do to to talk to him. One of the 
most amazing things I realized about even myself was that it's okay to pray when things are fine. When certain things happen, I tend to get up to do first before even talking to God about it. And sometimes the way life is, because life inherently is spiritual for a believer, is actually spiritual because we are spirit, God is spirit. There's nothing that happens in this world that is not orchestrated from the realm of the spirit. And one of the beautiful things is that we actually plugged in through our connection with Jesus Christ. And so he says that uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, he says that who can know the thoughts of a man except the spirit that is in that man? He says who can know the thoughts of God except the spirit of God that is in God, isn't it? He says, but then we, I would have loved to read it, but it's, it's a long. He says, but we already have the spirit of God because when we, when we came to God, our spirits yoked with his spirit. There was that interaction and he was explaining it when he was talking about uh, adultery and fornication, that when you yoke with a, with, a, with a harlot or a prostitute or whoever it is you yoke up with, your spirits intermingle. It's not just a physical thing. That's why there's so much emotional hurt or so much things in it when things go wrong. But the same thing, when we yoked with Jesus, our spirit connected with him. And so he then says, you therefore have the mind of Christ because you have the spirit of Christ in you. And so when we speak the things we speak, he says we don't speak spiritual things in normal words. We need spiritual words to speak spiritual things because everything that God did when he created the earth, was words. He says, the earth was without form and void, the spirit was hovering upon the deep, and God said, let there be light. To activate things in the spirit, to get things done in the spirit, the medium is words. And it's right words. And most of the words, we find it in the word. And most of the words come from a deep cry from within when we speak to him and we tell him. So we've, I've had things, so for instance, um, um, quickly, uh, for instance, I, mean, I just want to look for something very, very funny and mundane. When we got married, we moved to the north of the country. We felt God led us there. The north of the country is, is more Islamic. Um, there's a huge enclave of, of uh, Muslims there, and it can really be intense when there are crises or situations. So for instance, when, when the Gaza thing happens, happened in we in Nigeria, not in Nigeria, we are apprehensive because they can decide to do. So there are days when we're careful. On Fridays, we're usually careful because at any time you can hear that terrible sound and you have to, the city was divided in two. <laughs> we had the Christian South and the Muslim North, so you have to find your way back home, you know. And it was, it was quite an interesting situation. So, but we felt God wanted us there and we actually worked with the church while we were there. And we left everything and it was tough those first years uh, we got married. We lived in a very small house and it got so bad, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't have something. We couldn't eat, we couldn't, we had, we could just eat one thing every time. So one day I was talking with my wife and my wife was talking back to me and we're like, um, you know, I don't know what fish tastes like. It's a long time we've eaten fish. And my wife was like, oh, 
She doesn't know what chicken tastes like. <laughs> it's a long time we've eaten chicken. And while we're talking and just lying on the bed reminiscing, um, my pastor calls and is like, are you guys free? That's, I'm going for administration somewhere. Would you like to follow me? Because we usually back him up when, when he sings and stuff. So we decided to go with him. Well, we're free. We're not doing anything. I had not gotten a job then. And I was just doing, I started my business, but it was still very small. So we went. And the people who received us the first night, guess what they brought? Fish. It was catfish, the specific kind of fish I want. That said, it's a long time. Now, usually in places like that, they usually don't, they will give you there are some generic kind of welcome foods they will give you. But that day, was he hearing what we were saying? <laughs> the next day, it was chicken. <laughs> Exactly. Now, it looks mundane, but you cannot imagine just how much that was for us. It really showed us that we weren't alone. And even though we didn't exactly say it in prayer, he heard the thoughts of our And so speaking things out is extremely important in prayer. Talk to him. He's totally willing to hear you. Um, the last thing, I will put it in the words of um, Psalm 50. I want to use... Uh, an old English term. If you read it in King James, Psalm 50, verse 23, it says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. The word conversation there is not just talking. The word conversation there connotes your way of life. How you live speaks. What you believe in will eventually show when the, the, the push comes to show, when you're under pressure, what you believe in is what you will do, most likely. <laughs> because at that time, you're not thinking anymore, you just want to survive. If you have taught yourself, if we taught yourself to trust in God, to fall back to God, to run back to God, most likely it's the first thing you're going to do. And when you do the first steps, you seek him, you listen to him, listen for him and listen to him, and you receive everything he said and begin to put it in practice. The way you live your life is going to speak. People will wonder what's different about you, how, why you do things differently, why certain things happen to you. In fact, we sang in one of the songs that I've got peace that makes no sense. People tend to see you in certain situations. I've, I've heard someone say to me, I do not understand why you are not panicking. <laughs> and you just smile because he's seen us through worse things. He probably has. You know, heaven is not, the, the power station in heaven is not going to shut down because of this, <laughs> of this particular situation, you know. And getting there is not easy. And I must tell you, we're never there. Because when we're there, we won't need him anymore. And so we tend to run back to him. So your way of life, and I like the words he says there, he that ordereth his conversation aright. You have to order your way of life. These are certain things that help in bringing that. If, 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 if I want to pour into someone, for instance, or I want to teach someone, 
The person must want it. And the person must do what I say. Otherwise, I'll be wasting my time. And so, when we hear him do what he says, he looks at us as a worthy investment. So when he was saying that thing about Abraham, that he wants to talk to Abraham because he knows. He mentioned in that same passage that he knows that he's going to teach his children. He's going to show them everything that pertains to me. He's not just going to leave them to live their lives. So it's extremely important that we're able to order our conversation aright. If you read Psalm 119, there are beautiful scriptures in there that shows, you know, some of this. There's this, uh, let me read, uh, sorry. I hope I'm not out of time. Um, Psalm 119. It says, you have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. It says, oh, that my actions will consistently reflect your principles. I mean, I can't say it better uh, than David said it. He says, you have charged me to keep your commandments. And I'm praying and I'm asking that everything I do will consistently reflect your principles. He says, then I will not be disgraced when I compare my life and your commands. That really is the thought behind it. That, that is to say that if we order our conversation all right, when we look at the word, we see us. When we look at Jesus, we see us. One of the secrets, if you want to hack to bring you closer, one of the secrets is to serve. If you, if you are open to put your life in a service and to serve wherever you have the opportunity to, what it does is this. I discovered that when I think of me, myself, and I, the world is really small. But when I deserve to serve in his kingdom and work for him, he carries the whole world. My world suddenly becomes bigger because I might be here in Edinburgh and he's wanting me to pray for people in Israel because there's a situation going on there. He's looking for who he's gonna talk to about that situation and he finds you available and suddenly you feel you're watching it and you're watching it on TV and suddenly different from how you've watched it before and you feel, oh, I need to pray about it and you just, receive that notch and you pray about it. Recently, I was thinking of calling a friend. He's a very funny guy. If I called him to say, oh, I'm checking on you, he'll be like, okay. <laughs> you know, he's not, he's not very emotional, you know. So I refrained from calling him like, uh, if I call Peter, he'll be like, yes, what's going on? But when I met him in church Sunday, I was like, hey, I thought about you this week. And from Wednesday through to Sunday, I had this urge to call you. And it was like, well, I didn't even say the date. It was like, when was that? I said, well, Wednesday through Sunday. He said, wow, the Friday was a bad day. And I was like, oh, God, I should have called, <laughs> you know. And we spoke about it later on, you know. And he was blessed. I was blessed. But sometimes you get that nudge. He's actually looking for someone, and he can put things in your heart. And when you serve, whatever it is, no matter how little around here, you are, you're no longer just a part of your world. Sometimes... You'll have to put your problem in one corner and pick up the problem that's in his heart. And when you do that, it's amazing and how fulfilling um, the things that he can do through you, he can use you for. And somehow, you get closer to him. Jonah was given a mission. He decided to run away. From the time he stepped out, God chased after him. 
He's one of the prophets that lived like a New Testament <laughs> Christian. God's, Jonah's relationship with God was, <laughs> was amazing. We usually think of God in the Old Testament as fire and brimstone. Before you do anything wrong, he strikes you. But Jonah did some very funny and amazing things with his prayer, I mean, his intimacy with God. He got into the storm, was spat out, and if you look at the prayers he prayed in the belly of the fish, it was one of the most amazing prayers um, of repentance, of, of, of turning around, and God loves that kind of thing. And he was spat out, and in fact, Isaiah, Jeremiah didn't get the results he got in Nineveh. The whole city repented. Just like Jesus, Jesus will say that I do only the things that I see my father do. He said it, I think one of the scriptures is there. I do only what I see, that was what made him effective. Without that access, everything we do is religion. We can't be that effective. Even in our secular, so-called secular work, we can always have a touch of his presence, a touch of his breath in everything we do. It makes all the difference and it certainly makes it easier. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.